Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Get ready for the event of the summer, the Northwoods Throwdown Charity Softball Game. Maine Game Wardens versus New Hampshire Game Wardens. Hadlock Field, Portland, Maine, home of the Sea Dogs. Saturday, August 3rd, gates open at 4 p.m., Meet the Game Wardens playing and be there early for all the events leading up to the game. Get your tickets soon at porttix.com. That's P-O-R-T-T-I-X.com. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'll see you there. Wireless Partners building the first net cellular network for AT&T in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont to ensure first responders can always communicate in emergency situations so you know help is on the way when you need it. Wireless Partners is partnering for success with communities, local and state government, local business, and visitors. Wireless partners building cellular networks for you. Guidefitter.com. Guidefitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. Guidefitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out guidefitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for Guidefitter. 
Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public, and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to Episode 10, interview with Conservation Officer Eric Fluett, who covers the northern part of New Hampshire, northeast actually, Errol Country, if anybody's familiar with northern New Hampshire. And Eric also handles Canine Moxie, and a lot of you may know Canine Moxie. And I, I moved Eric up. Uh, Eric and I did these back-to-back uh, interviews, and I had him planned for later down the road. But with this softball game coming up, the Northwoods Throwdown, they were highlighted. So I wanted to highlight them too. I wanted to, everybody to get a feeling for the guys that were uh, facing off each other. Eric Fluette's going to do back-to-back podcasts, three hours worth of podcasting, some great stories. Brings you, you know, from the beginning of Eric's career all the way to Alaska back to New Hampshire, to the coast of New Hampshire, working the coast, to the northern reaches of New Hampshire, which is close as he could get to Alaska. Just a great interview, great individual. You're going to laugh a little. You may even cry a little. I hope you enjoy this. We'll do back-to-back podcasts. So podcast 10 and 11 is going to be Eric Fluett. And then we're going to bring up cleanup number 13 with Chris McCabe, Maine Warden Service. Guys that are highlighted that you see, you'll get to know them a little bit more and know their passions. See them play a little softball, I hope, too. Here we go. Podcast with uh, Conservation Officer Eric Lett, otherwise known as a game warden, right? Right, correct. <laughs> and Eric, we got quite a bit of history together, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. We? Well, a, lot of, a lot of fun history, so that, that, that's kind of cool. Um, I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time because of the chemistry. I found out people I have chemistry with, they're just a better interview. So, And I, don't, you know, I keep worrying about the person I don't know, but I think it's more the personalities that I'm looking for. You know, the, the, the Colonel Jordans of this world, you know, we just had that chemistry. So, but we got a lot of history together, too, very similar to you and I. Oh, yeah, work and play. So. Work and play. <laughs> and work was a lot of play for us, too, because we love what we do. Yep, yep. That's I, right. just, I just got some feedback from another podcaster through my brother, and uh, he doesn't hunt, he doesn't fish, he doesn't know anything about game wardens, but he's like, your brother's passion is incredible. 
for what he does. And you can hear that through his podcast. And that's what impression me listening to him mm-hmm. on his podcast. So, and I think a lot of guys have that. So, and a lot of guys want to share it, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you said, that passion and the drive to uh, succeed with the goals we set or, or the work we do. And, and then, uh, yeah, I'm sure that comes across uh, very evident with, with your podcast. So. Yeah, and we need we need support, basically, because uh, conservation law is a part of a management tool that we do. We have all the biologists can, you know, biologize everything and say this is what we need to do. The legislator can make the rules or fishing game departments can make the rules, but then they need some teeth in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the nation is forgetting. I think the world is forgetting about the teeth, yeah. you know. The, the teeth I see are in Africa, and they're, they're pretty toothless over there because they don't have the equipment and stuff like that. But they're getting the limelight. So, But I think uh, North America, I, I think people are forgetting us because we do such a good job. That, that's just my opinion. But we do such a good job in implementing this and being the teeth in the management program. So I, I guess that's my message throughout my podcast is uh, don't forget the teeth. You know, because we're important, you know. And then and then also just those face-to-face contacts that we have on a daily basis, uh, more now than ever, I realize how how much of a impact you can have with, uh, with hunters, fishermen, recreators in the state uh, when you see them on that, that basis, mm-hmm. which to us is just another contact, but to them could be that that once in their recreational career contact, you know? Absolutely. And I hate to say this, but everybody remembers you, but it's hard to remember everybody. Yep. You know? Yep. For sure. So people walk up to you and say, Hey Eric, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a long time. And you're like, yeah, I don't remember your name. And, and as they talk, sometimes it jogs and sometimes it doesn't. But yep. And then you're just trying to remember, is this a good contact? Good contact, is this a bad, bad contact? <laughs> you know, I talk about the time my wife came up to me in, in Walmart cause I was talking to a guy all tattooed up and had just got out of prison for a felony for an assault on a trooper. And she was like, why didn't you introduce me? I'm like, because I didn't really want to introduce you, you know? Um, Although we started on a good note as a trapper. So uh, we had a good relationship. So um, I wasn't afraid to talk to the guy, you know? And uh, sometimes, you know, information comes out of those situations. uh, You you create your own Operation Game Thieves as a game warden, don't you, locally? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I feel like... um you know how you're perceived in in your community is, is plays a huge role on your career Absolutely. you know I, I would hate to be the person that was unapproachable uh and i feel i i wouldn't be able to do my job as as well as i do without that yeah and where you are you're the only law enforcement officer in your town in your adjoining towns i think I, my patrol now it's, patrol what's yeah. the closest law enforcement officer that lives to you I mean, I mean, it'd be a, be the troopers, you know, and, and they do come through, you know, and patrol uh, along, you know, alongside me. But, but no one lives um, there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, you are the law enforcement in that country, that arrow, that northern, eastern yeah. part of New Hampshire. You're it. Yep. Yeah. You know, when it hits the fan at the school, who's going to be first there? Right. Yeah. If you're in the area, you're going to be the guy. Yep. And I think we see that nationwide with all these incidents. Uh, we see wardens involved. Yeah, I just saw, <laughs> it was funny that it said game warden. Uh, it's kind of like the, the utility tool of the, the police. 
You yeah, know, yeah. Because they have everything. The you Swiss know. Army knife. The Swiss, that's what yeah. it was. The yep, Swiss Army knife of law enforcement. Yeah. Because we have all the gear, because we're prepared for everything. We have all the clothing. We have all the weapons, because yeah. we deal with wildlife all the time, and we have to dispatch wildlife, so we fire our weapons a lot. Yeah. We're in the woods. But, yeah, we're the Swiss Army knife of law enforcement. You know, uh, when, yeah. when something's needed, they're called. When the troopers need a search, after they've searched, they can't find evidence. They call us, you know, and uh, it's a good teamwork. You know, the Swiss Army knife, they, they sometimes forget they have it. Yeah. So. No, it's funny. People jump in my cruiser and they're like, wow, you've got so much stuff jammed in this small area. And of course, knock on wood, I can always say I've, I've never ha- not had what I need. So, you know, that's, that's. Uh, but yeah, just right. You know, we're prepared for whatever the... And, and that doesn't get any better, Eric, because you saw my cruiser, my Tahoe. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? And I had the same thing. Everybody got in here, and they're like, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, and I'm like, everything but the kitchen sink, because you need it. Yep, and never know. You never know. And then I'll someone will ask me for something, and I'm digging, 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 digging. I got, I it, I got it in there. You know? Yeah. you know, I had everything I needed, and then some, and uh, it was just so heavy. Heavy, heavy, heavy weighted. I had everything, so I could. I'd run a mobile search right out of the cruiser. Yeah. So yeah. when you guys needed batteries, I carried a whole box of batteries for everybody that needed batteries. So yeah. everything that you guys I thought were going to need, like extra headlamps, you know, extra everything, because that's what the supervisor is supposed to do. Yep. So when you're yeah. a lieutenant, you understand you'll have your your Tahoe packed to the hilt. Yeah. You know, yeah. To I'll fill that missions. too. Then. Yeah. You yeah. will definitely fill that. <laughs> So we, we started getting along. Um, did I ever have you as a trainee? So I don't think... I don't think so either, because I'm like thinking back, never trained with you. So I was with uh, Matt Holmes, was my first uh, FTO. Great. So that would have been when I was up in District 1 for my first exposure yeah. uh, to the area. And, and you kind of gravitate to the big woods, don't you? You know, just in, in that picture of, of what a game warden to me was, you know, and just what I... What I wanted to pursue was that that big woods patrol at some point in my career. When, How'd that get in your system? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I would say uh, probably um, between our our details where I'd come up for moose season, Wayne. That was probably my first exposure to New Hampshire's big woods. Um, but prior to that, uh, going through through college and stuff, recreating up in the Allagash area, Maine. I mean, just some what I would consider the big woods, the Alaska woods, you know, yeah. of, of uh, New England. And you went to Alaska to work too, didn't you? I did. I yeah. did. I worked uh, worked for fisheries, uh, for some fisheries work out in Alaska. Um, first year out there, yeah, dropped me off in a float plane for 28 days at a remote remote site in uh, me and another so guy. So bring me through this. There's a kid from New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you had been to Unity at that point. Yeah, so and- kind of a funny story. Yeah. Uh, some of my friends had found out that there was this internship we could do. So what that equated to the three of us was a free trip to Alaska uh, to do some fishing and explore like Alaska. Kids. Yeah. Wow. So so three of us put in for this process. You know, we each have our phone interviews. Next thing you know, we find out all three of us got it. We need to book our plane tickets. Awesome. So that then equated to three of us coordinating with the uh, you know the flight arrangements, and three of us were sitting beside each other for the flight out uh, awesome. that that spring. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I'll never forget our flight attendant Beth, and uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was, was Beth good looking. Well, you know, Beth, Beth just kept. Uh, yeah, she she was good looking, attractive woman, and yeah. uh, did her job why, very well. Why you remembered you know? her name? Because uh, <laughs> this maybe this is a focal she, point in your life. Yeah, you stepped out. You're on your way to Alaska. Yeah. A little nervous. She covered all our all our costs for the flight out, and uh, wow. you know, 
Nice. <laughs> no, nice. no, she was. Yeah, no, it was just it was a trip trip to remember. Uh, um, yeah. What airline? Alaska Airlines. Alaska so, Airlines. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Beth from Alaska Airlines. Hopefully, she'll get a chance yeah. to listen to this. You know, <laughs> she made a lasting impression on a a young college student yeah. going yeah. to a fisheries place in the Drunk. and where. So you, you fly into Juneau. This is your first time to Alaska. Yeah, so uh, first trip to Alaska, we actually, so we flew into uh, Anchorage and then transferred on a, a little plane into Kenai. Isn't that awesome when you come into Anchorage? Yeah, so that was my... the window? Yeah, my first, geez, I think that was my first trip ever west. So seeing the mountains, you know, yeah. for the first time, those, those snow-capped mountains divide. and everything. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I was the person with the head out the window for most of the flight, yeah, you know. I bet. And then I'll remember, you know, coming into Anchorage, it's just... Yeah, you know, the airport's at like the end of the land, you know, and yeah. you can just see green and water, and uh, I just, yeah. you know, yeah, you get that lump in your throat when you see it, you know. Here it is that's good because I think we all have that desire to go there. I've been there a couple times, so and then I had a desire to work there, kind of like you did, because for the park service, I kept putting in oh yeah, Wrangell St. Elias, so to yeah. to go up there, and I had a chance, but I already accepted a job, so I had to say no. Yeah. <laughs> so, so okay, so we're we're landing in Alaska, and you fly this little. How, how little is this plane? Oh well, so the next flight it was uh, just a two proper, um, so one off each uh, each wing, and and that brought us in. It must have, geez, it must have held probably thirty people. It was it was okay, fairly so size. They didn't yeah. go through your gear and throw out your cases of beer yep, and things no, like that. No, so, no, yeah, they, you don't need they that. Just you took... don't need that. You don't need that. Okay, we need to lighten up. Yeah, which yeah. one of you is going to slide on the wing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. This one was, you know, you had plenty of, yeah. yeah, plenty of room and yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was an interesting flight. Cause of course the person I sat next to was the person who apparently had been in that plane, uh, when, when it did a full, uh, barrel roll at some point. So, you know, that was the story I got from him. Now, how much truth was in his stories? There was a lot of, was there like a lot of stories. Throw up all, puke all over him or something? Uh, no, no, okay. but apparently, apparently he flies it regularly and that had happened and we had some of the best pilots flying for us. So wow. that was, yeah, it was just the whole, the whole trip getting out there was, was something else. And then. Was and that then, your first prop? plane because i'll tell you what when you get in one of those prop planes that holds 30 people it's it's a different experience it's not like a jet it's noisy oh yeah loud yeah loud yeah. cold sometimes the one i was in was cold yeah and, yeah yeah so it was uh it was it was a whole different experience so i was <laughs> like uh and i'm thinking man i like jets a whole lot better but it got us yeah. there and yep you know but at first i was wondering yeah wow. no and like i said this was this was still a commercial you know venue that mm-hmm. we were on and it, it was nice but yeah so you flew to where uh so just literally uh crossed across the the inlet uh to kenai so that's all it was wow. it just dropped so us the there and we home based out of kenai plane flight was relatively short yeah yeah it to drive it it would have been like three and a half hours because yeah. you got to go around the inlet but yeah but to uh, fly, it was, I don't even know if it was an hour away. Right. It was quick. Up and down. Yeah, 40, 45 minutes or something. Nice. Yep. nice. You can pretty there, much see, you know, from Anchorage, Kenai, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, from there? Yeah, yeah. So from there, uh, that year was a heavy spring. So we uh, we home-based out of Kenai in, in the office of Cook Inlet Aquaculture Association. And, uh, so, so someone was, met you at the airplane and stuff? Yeah, you... picked us up, brought us over to their headquarters, and uh, we basically camped out there uh, until snow decreased enough to, or, or basically until ice was out so that we could land the float plane in the pond, uh, the lake I was going to. What time to. of year are you landing? 
Uh, so this must have been, May? so we, we graduated, yeah, or, so it probably, yeah, mid-May we must have been flying out, so. Nice isn't out yet up there. Yeah, yeah, so that, at that point, it, it was just a, a heavy snow year, I guess, and uh, so between the snow and ice that was on the lake, we, we had to wait till that was out. Um, but that being said, when we landed out there, there was four feet of snow. We were literally shoveling off our tent platform, uh, shoveling little walkways to cooking, you know, wow. the, yeah, the latrine, you name it. It was all were shoveling. Were you still psyched and, or you were like, what the heck did I get into? Or? Um, you know, at that point, I'd really wished I'd have brought a thicker sleeping bag, Wayne. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, I, I think for the first couple of weeks, two weeks, I the was bugs weren't out yet, right? pretty much sleeping in every bit of gear I had. Yeah, that was the positive. Silver yeah. lining. There wasn't... wasn't bugs yet. Yeah. Like, yeah. When yeah. the snow goes, the bugs come about two days later. Yeah. 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 So, and, uh, so you waited for the ice to come out. Then what was your job? Yeah. So we were, we had uh, set up a, uh, basically a smolt trap. Uh, so this would catch, you know, the juvenile fish that were heading out yeah, to so sea. Yeah. So smolts or juvenile fish heading out to see how yeah. big. Yes, so these things, oh, geez, I don't even know if they were, you know, let's say a big one would be in that, like, three-inch range, yep. you know, type so thing. So that's what you're targeting. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, so catch ID and and then, uh, yeah. Now, how you catch them, nets? Uh, no, so this would be basically a, uh, so we would essentially uh, funnel them in with, uh, well, with some, I'll say fence, basically. Uh, so you'd cut off a portion of the river. We attempted to cut off the full river. Uh, and so everything that would come down would have to go into the trap. And then you'd have that exact data of from this timeline to this timeline. You know, we caught X number of, of uh, smolt. And uh, anyway, yeah, we attempted to do that. And the next day after blocking off the river, the water was so high, it about, you know, obliterated our fence line. So we had to do a, basically a, a statistical, a yeah, a yeah. segment of the river to uh-huh. funnel into this, this trap. Huh. Uh, and then, yeah, and then every day we'd, I think we checked it, checked it twice a day. So morning and yeah. night, got the data that we were, we were there to get. Were you killing the fish at the same time? No, no. 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 So we just take uh, a pretty quick, you know, a quick measurement, mm-hmm. uh, ID, and then uh, we'd take like a scale sample. So we'd have to get like, of course, briefly with, with touch, you know, you get a ton of scales mm-hmm. and then you just have to, I think we'd get 10 on a little glass uh, slide. Yeah, slide, yep. so you just get 10 on it. And, and a slide something that goes under a microscope so they can actually look at this, the, yeah. the health and the, the growth and everything. Yeah. Kind of like rings on a tree, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I never actually got to got to examine the slides yeah. we did, but we'd, uh, we'd package them all up and send them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Some of my first work was in fisheries, too, and it's it's awesome to, to start off this way to build your resume, A. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that was the experience touching fish. Yeah, yeah, and so, uh, and then I got to you know do a lot of fly fish. I, I I never knew how to fly fish until I got out there because I figured for twenty eight days yeah. I'm going to learn how to fly fish. Absolutely. So bought a LL Bean package while I was out uh, before the trip. The and, junior uh, one with has everything in it. Oh yeah, need. all yeah. all there. Awesome. You know, it was it Can't fit right it. in the suitcase, fit on the the float planes. Not like a rod in. geek's rod, but you know, well, if they yeah. Around, <laughs> you, had, you had a rod geek's rod, you would have thrown that yeah. in the pack and been on your way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was uh, yeah, a lot of lot of rainbow fishing. You know, Dolly. What Barton was the biggest fish you caught while there. you were there? Oh, geez, you know, in the come the adult migration of of salmon. I mean, I don't know. These things had to have been in that eight pound 
you know range Wayne, and you just consistently catching these beautiful uh salmon you know i mean it was i'm just sure you ate else. a lot of salmon yeah yeah never was um awesome, wasn't it yeah never never didn't not have salmon if you wanted it you know and uh, I, I just remember when we went to alaska everywhere we went salmon salmon yeah. salmon and i ate salmon almost every time i loved it i had salmon for yeah. breakfast oh you know? yeah had it in an omelet had it you know, i was just <laughs> I, I can't get enough salmon it's just it's yeah. awesome yeah so. no it was it was spectacular so did you do any trips out from camp or anything? Do you guys be at a time to explore or just pretty much work while you were there? Yeah, so a lot of downtime. So we'd, we'd do, you know, fish and then um, hiked around and stuff, explored some area. Um, so there was, a, yeah, there was a mountain not too far from us that we bushwhacked to. And, uh, you know, it was, yeah, it was really neat that first year just seeing that stuff, um, that remote setting and then all the different, uh, things that grow out there that we we don't have you know i'll never forget that i think they call it devil's club you yeah. know you touch that once and you'll never reach for that again on the mm-hmm. side of the slope but um yeah yeah it was uh it was awesome uh like i said never never will forget that uh being out there and seeing all that and being a part of it yeah any brown bear encounters you know not um so that year my first year out there, I'm trying to think. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I even try to remember my first one that I saw. It might have been at, um, I don't even know if I saw one that first year, to be honest. You did like, this more than one year? Yeah, yeah. So the second year was, I was there for the adult migration, and that was when, um, you know, we had seen a lot of, you know, you'd see a lot of adults. I got it. Smolts are going bears. out in the spring. Yeah, coming yeah. Back, so you, you know, were... the bears are just coming out from the winter. Right. And, uh so yeah, I didn't I didn't get to really explore much area, and I can't remember if that first year I might have seen a grizz when we went into Denali. Yeah. So you know, I got to I got to see one in that setting. Um, and the difference between brown bears and grizzes, different terrain, basically the same general species, different subspecies. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know some bear biologist is going to correct me here, but brown bears are usually on the coast, and grizzlies are in the interior, so yeah. a little small. I probably shouldn't start. Quoting that stuff that I don't know a whole lot about, I'm not being a <laughs> Western warden. So. All I can know is that they kill a lot of lot of adult salmon and mm. pile them up on the side. Pretty and efficient feast. at it. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah. This one. So this, your second year, did you have a? Did you trip over a pile of fish or something that a, the bear was stacking? Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. So we got called. I was in a little more of a um, not really management role, but just assisting our camps. So the remote camps. Um, so uh, me and me and another woman, she and I. I would go out and you know fill the camps with food whatever they needed we'd make sure their dad is good and whatnot you're kind of like a support guy yeah yeah i guess yeah in that in in i actually was getting paid in the second year so that was even oh, better yeah. no you more know, intern so now, right yeah so that was awesome cool so i was in a paid position and they saw uh, you're a big rugged guy and he can haul a pack into these remote streets. oh geez yeah yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah but yeah, so that was that was the year I got to actually see quite a few uh, grizzly bears, and uh, it was yeah, it was really really neat. Um, and then got to fish more of that adult uh, salmon migration, so that was kind of neat too. Yeah. Um, Any encounters with brown bears that you? Uh... You know, so I guess one of the one of the first or the biggest, well, the biggest bear I ever saw. I was with my buddy who's a who's a trooper out there and uh he and I were going fishing, you know, so I was out there a couple couple weeks prior to when I needed to be. And uh so anyway, he and I went down to the uh and, um, the Russian River. So we The nineteen eleven is one of the most iconic firearms in history. 
designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Of course, you know, daylight still whenever. So we we uh, got down there later than we expected and started heading in. So we parked at, you know, one of the, I don't know if it was a state park, but a, a major, major trailhead, I'll say. And uh, everybody's, you know, fishing right out of, right from the start of the river. Well, we, we worked our way upriver and uh, ultimately um, just keep work, working up, trying to find a pool. And I'll never forget it because I'm, I'm behind him hiking and all of a sudden I just see this this bear across the river from us and this thing comes out. And, and I'll never forget the depiction of this bear was that, that flat forehead bear that you just, you know is big. You know, it, I'll never forget it. That was what distinguished this bear from any other bear I'd ever seen. So this thing comes out and I'm just telling him, you know, hey, hey, bear, bear. You know, and he's like, yeah, right, you know, no way. And I'm like, yeah, look over there. And next thing you know, we're we're across a small river. Um, so in, how far do you think? Oh, I don't even, 20 yards, 20 you yards. Know, 25 yards maybe. Yeah. I mean, literally just across this mm-hmm. this river. And, uh, and now, now we're just like, okay, where's the gun? You know, because we're just, we're standing our ground, just standing still. And of course it's, it's in the backpack, Wayne. So it's uh, below yeah. all <laughs> the, all the stuff, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that being said, you know, we, we, the bear, as soon as it aired us, you just saw its nose go up and, uh, just did a 180 and walked right away from us. But nice. yeah, before either did of us could get cameras, do. nothing, you know, we couldn't get our cameras out or anything. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so that was, uh. Yeah, the biggest bear encounter I had when I was out there, and and what a beauty he was, you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Twenty five hours away to have him come out and just uh, yeah. get that up in your face. I, I can still see it's in in your mind still. You're still oh yeah, you're still right there. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, came the hours of frustration trying to catch these these migrating salmon uh, out of these pools when you can see, you know, twenty plus fish in a small uh, hole, but you can't get them to to bite anything. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah, I, I was doing that when I was in Alaska with my my friends, a fisheries biologist up there in Sitka, and uh, oh, we were yeah. out, and uh, some Indians, some natives, uh, you know, fishing, substance fishing, and they had you know a net, and they'd go oh, down, yeah, yeah. and he'd come up with a fish every time. Yeah, just dip netting them. Yeah, dip netting them, but he'd put down, and he'd come up. Come up. I'm like, we can't even catch him with this, that. So I finally went over, and I was watching. So what's the trick? You know, every time you're coming up with one, and he, he gave me a line of bull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he told me that, you know, I, this, that, and the other thing, and, you know. But I hung around with him enough, so we got friendly. He's like, okay, I'll tell you the secret. There, there, there's a notch down there in the rocks that they always stage before, oh. they, before they go up any further. So, you know, if there's not one there, when I put it down, there'll be one there in about two seconds, and I just scoop the notch. And he's oh. like, you know, I was taught that by my father, who was taught that by his grandfather. And right here is the notch, and I can scoop one every time. Every, you know, every thirty seconds, he was coming out with a fish. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. but that that was kind of cool to watch and you know be a part of. And you know, yeah, I couldn't catch one on a hook and line to save my life. And those were silvers too. 
Nice, so nice. That yeah. was uh, pretty neat. And there was a lake up above us that they were heading to. Yeah, just gorgeous, gorgeous country. So Yeah, and amazing how everybody, that was what I thought was the neatest thing out there, is uh, how um, oriented everybody is to the salmon hmm. runs, you know, and everybody. It's like a lifeline. Yeah, really, you yeah. Know, for, for the environment, for the yeah. animals, for the people. I mean, on the radio, um, you'd hear about the runs up such and such river, absolutely. you know, the, the management end of. Uh, They're probably the most in touch with their environment as anybody is because they still rely on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool as an outsider going in because I know as an insider, you know, we live in a gorgeous place, New Hampshire and I, you know, Northern New Hampshire and, and you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to eventually, you know, take things for granted, yeah. I guess, you know, so well, I think there. when you live there, you, 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 you take it for granted yep. eventually, yep. you know, but when you get in there with new eyes and new energy, it's kind of cool. So yeah. I think that's with anybody, any place. So, but sometimes I pinch myself and say, Gotta, I live in one of the most gorgeous places in the country, in the world, you know, and yeah. the white mountains of New Hampshire has everything and we're close to the ocean, yeah. you know, and so. So, and Alaska is one of those places that's very similar, and I think that's why you gravitated to northern New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. You got that wild in you. Yeah, yeah. That experience out there was just, like I said, I'll, I'll never forget it, and uh, happy to have that opportunity, and yeah, I'd love to get back there. <laughs> yeah, no, and you, you will. You will, I'm sure. So. But yeah, I guess uh, the Arrow Patrol you know, has about as close to Alaska as, as I can get in the state as of New Hampshire. As close as New Hampshire's going to get me, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no doubt. So being the only law enforcement officer, <laughs> you know, in, in a huge area, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of, it's not quite Alaska, but it's as close as you're going to get in northern New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, you know, I got to talk about how you got there, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know if I want to talk about your first day or your how you got, you know, wh- where'd you get the game warden in you? Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, and that's a story in itself. So, as early as I can remember, my uh, one of my best friends, who who would have been my 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 mother's uh, friend from high school, son uh, Zach Eskelin. So he and I were always together recreating. Well, his father, Dave Eskelin, uh, was a conservation officer for New Hampshire. So at an early age, I remember jumping in with him in the morning. You know, we'd have a routine and grabbing a coffee. How old do you think you were? Oh, gee. I bet when my first, I had to have been maybe early teens, not even, you know, just early, early teens going with them. And, uh, yeah, we jump in, sit on a field, whatever, early AM, you know, sitting out. I, I was just, yeah, just blown away by that. This is a job that, that I could, you know, people do, you know, yeah. number one, you know, he's got a cruiser, this thing, you know, his four wheel drive truck jumping yeah, in, the radio, all the these gadgets lights, inside, you know, gun. I mean, as a little kid, I'm, I was just, yeah, odd and, and yeah. yeah, had, had to do it, you know, let alone the boats in his yard, mm, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, the ATV, you know, <laughs> actually, now that you mention it, I think I remember my first encounter with Dave, uh, we were back at our, our house in Hudson and I think he had his ATV for whatever reason came was at the house and I'll never forget him ripping around, you know, heading around there and, and, and my first exposure to seeing, seeing him working. And, uh, but yeah, so anyway, 
uh, hooked, hooked just from seeing him in working capacity, whether he's leaving in his uniform, mm-hmm. you know, Zach and I are playing, you know, and then it progressed to riding along with him nice. uh, and just seeing that work firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it was just, you know, I think eighth grade, yeah, seventh, seventh or eighth grade, I had a career project yeah. and uh, focused specifically on, on a game warden, you know, a conservation officer and, uh, and had Dave come in and to my class and everything. And, wow. and, uh, so I would say from there for sure on, Early I was on, focused, focused on wanting to be a, a kind warden. of built your life to be a game warden. Yeah. Yeah. It was just anything running by Dave. Hey, should I do that? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had very similar um, experience. Yeah. So, you know, Dave certainly was my mentor, uh, from as early as I can remember. And, uh, and yeah, for sure is, is, the inspiration of of getting me to want to do this for sure yeah and then you had that north in you so your first day in district one you've been an officer for how long before you transferred here oh yeah yeah so i had uh, started on the seacoast um so it was down out of district six um mm-hmm. right out of our durham durham office and uh, i must have been there just about just about three years maybe yeah and uh and then the opportunity came where yeah i had the opportunity to put in for the vacancy up in the arrow patrol uh, that wild was calling huh yeah yeah it was um you know i mean two totally different animals the seacoast work i mean i dare i i can without a doubt say is the most interaction with the natural resource in our state so mm-hmm. i mean for sure you're protecting a natural resource um and we're gonna get back to that because i'm gonna go back to that but I, yeah your first day you transfer yeah. up here oh yeah yeah so first day we're in we're in district i'm in district one in uh yeah at the time so it would have been uh lieutenant sergeant i'm meeting up with so you as lieutenant and uh mark uh, sergeant mark ober yeah uh, meeting up so i mean i'm just and like a plan oh yeah yeah need to be here at this time and we're gonna work the the deer decoy so in my head, you know, I'm I'm amped, I'm ready. And you'd and worked de- deer decoys before, right? So that's the funny part is not not really. Oh, not really. I, okay. I've minimal work. Uh, mm-hmm. Never never had a night hunting incident at this point. Um, you know, uh, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I've I had some investigations prior, but never had a shooter scenario yeah. of night hunting. Uh, so you know, I'm just like this is great. You know, I got a little bit of pressure working with the sergeant and lieutenant that night. You know, but it hey, was high expectations. Oh yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you pulled through. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'll never forget meeting right up there and dumber. And uh, you guys had a plan of where you wanted this thing, and I'm I'm along for the ride. We're working in my patrol, um, so I'm I'm just amped up. I'm excited, and uh, yeah. So we we got. We got set up that that night. Uh, I think you dropped uh, Mark and I off. Yeah, I dropped you guys so off. So we we did the quick setup. You got stashed yep, at the you set up the deer simulator, as Norm Lewis calls it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, at the yeah. Deer simulator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so uh, Bucky was set up there, and uh, yeah, Mark and I got got right into our hiding spot where we could see the decoy good. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think Mark was running. Anyway, we had I uh, we had multiple things set up, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm working one. Mark's working the other, and uh, now we're just waiting. Yeah. And that being said, I don't think we waited too long, Wayne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to say it was the first vehicle that came by. He was the first or the second. I think the first one came. Yeah, out they just during the daylight during legal shooting time. Yeah. So so we weren't set up. So yeah, uh, yeah. 
we hadn't put the reflectors on the eyes yet. So yeah, yeah, uh, you know, to change that around. So, um, but you know, we, we had a really good setup there. So, yeah. but and, that first night night person to come through, mm. I think, I think, yeah, swung right, <laughs> I mean, swung right in, just just like he was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, of course, you know, so at this point, we're set up in the woods, and you got to remember now it there's nobody out there, right? It's just Mark and I standing in the dark in the spot in anything that begins to happen immediately gets you 110% excited, right? Whether they're going to shoot or not. The, the is building. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon the as you hear a car building. coming, you're like, yep, this is going to be a night hunter. Yeah. I mean, you just, yeah, just immediately your, mm-hmm. your reaction. Well, then when the car, you know, the truck in this case swings directly towards the, you know, the simulator yeah. and, uh, and lights up, deer. lights up Bucky. Um, now you immediately go from that 110% to like, I'm, I'm standing on the back of Ober's, uh, you know, back trying to just see everything that's happening. So, yeah. um, so, so he and I have this scenario happen right in front of us. I mean, turn, mm. turn right in. This is the passenger door is all of 20 feet from and where we're standing. Building. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we can't talk to each other, you know, no. so we're just, we're watching, and uh, so there's. And this all feels your binoculars. Like, generally, did you have your binoculars? Oh, oh, we didn't even need it for yeah, this one. This you is were that close. yeah. We're I mean, we're not we're not able to reach out and touch the vehicle, but we're You're probably 15 yards away. Yeah, yeah. If if, if that. that, yep. You're and uh, so so anyway, at this point, we've got this truck lighting it up. Um, driver driver exits the the truck. And, and again, I mean, Bucky's lit right up. We're watching this all, all, all happen. And a guy sneaks to the back. And, and if I remember right, I think he pulled, pulled the gun right out of, out of the bed of the truck, works his way up to the passenger side. And, uh, at this point, I think the passenger door is even open and, uh, raises a long gun and all I hear is this click way. And, and I mean, you yeah, know, cause dead the quiet. building inside of you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can barely breathe. You're actually oh, stopping yeah. breathing. Yeah, so you're just waiting for that shot, that yeah. anticipation. I mean, rifles up. Now you're like in that mode of, is he going to do it? Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, hey, it is a fake deer. And whether he sees that or not at that point, it's all going through your mind. Mm-hmm. And But this person's going to shoot. And it is after dark. And it's um, a muzzle loader. Well, so so here in, here in point, mm-hmm. so that click goes off and nothing happens. And I'm like, what? What just happened? I mean, we we had him mm-hmm. squeeze the trigger. Well, it was a muzzle loader, and he didn't have that that cap that primer in it. Uh. So so then he fumbles to the back. So this is all. It feels like <laughs> an eternity. It does. And so now he stump grabs grabs the primer out of the back door of the truck. <laughs> re you know raises engages the deer again. And then, you know, that four foot flame out the barrel of that oh. gun that I'll, I'll never forget. And, and then the and scraping like a, a muzzle loader flame. Oh, I just, yeah. Something else. And, and this is all. So now the adrenaline now is a dump. from, yeah. So <laughs> you picture Sergeant and I trying to squeeze through this little portion of trees that we're hidden behind mm-hmm. and we're just screaming at the top of our, you know, announcing ourselves and uh, getting you in the loop to start heading this yeah. way. I mean, all these things are happening. And then you got the shock of the person still trying to figure out, okay, that we, I What's just shot going a, on? Yeah. <laughs> I just shot a decoy. The deer didn't fall, you right. know? And, um, yeah. So our, 
first night in district was the most yeah memorable first night hunting case first night inning you know first shooter night hunter that i'd ever ever got and uh and just yeah so now i'm like wow these are pretty turnkey if this was the first day you uh, you guys had to give me that that. (laughs) like wow this Uh, is uh that guy wasn't a very good shot was he oh yeah well so then i goes you and i walked up to pick up the the decoy in the end and uh because a muzzleloader does a lot of damage oh yeah we're simulated deer yeah trying to decide what we're gonna have to repair on this thing and uh, next thing you know you're picking up uh because we're looking at it antlers shattered in half one of the antlers broke right off uh yeah yeah I think uh, you got a good it was, photo it was of a it real somewhere. Deer, he would have never got it, but he would have blasted an antler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I got. I think I still got those antlers in my basement, Wayne. I think so. you do. We yeah. got a picture of it. So yeah. Too, so. <laughs> I'll have to post this when we are it. Yeah, but that was something else. First day in District One, working with my sergeant and lieutenant, and uh, hit a home run. What a way to start! I mean, that's career in District One. Yeah, I guess of of all cases, uh, a game warden pursues a night hunter is one of them, and mm. and uh, one yeah, of our big you know that's one of our big cases. Yep, that's yep. our ten point deer that we mount on the wall is catching. Yep, absolutely. Because so, they're the guys that cheat, they're the guys that steal from everybody <sighs> else in a huge way. Yep. So, yep. To stop them is a huge achievement. Yep. So, and we call that guy an opportunist, whether he was out looking other times but he's coming out from a long day's hunt he sees a deer in a log lane had that opportunity opportunity just after dark he swings on it yeah that's the opportunist now the other guy that's out looking at shiny fields and trying to kill him he's not the yeah so, setting his alarm at midnight seekers and opportunists are the same people generally yep you yep. know but uh you just you just never know until that opportunity arises in front of men to get that deep buck on yep. so, yeah no uh, but that being said, you you had a, had quite a few years down on the sea coast, and that, that that was a pretty awesome time for you down there, wasn't it? A good learning time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you I... know the reason I remember how much of an effect that the sea coast had on you is the day I threw your lobster gauge out in the snow. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I thought you were I real in, funny. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I was in Eric's cruiser, actually. That was a chase vehicle, and I was using that as a chase vehicle that time, so I was in it. And they were getting ready to deploy the decoy, and I see this lobster. I'm like, hey, you're a District 1 officer now. You don't need this anymore, and you and Glenners. And I take that lobster, and I chuck it out in the woods. And it's yeah, snow. snow. Yeah, snow. Yeah, real nice. Not a lot real- of snow, like a foot of snow. You know, I'm like, a foot of snow. And the look on your face, it looked like I, you know, I, I hit your mom or something, you know? You're like this long, drawn-out face, and, you know, you were just yeah. horrified. I made a lot of cases with that you lobster gauge, Wayne. Horrified, and Glenn's like, oh, you just threw out, you know? How many cases did I think? <laughs> how many cases did you make with that, Eric? How many, uh, and then I felt like the biggest heel in the world. <laughs> so, so here I am, looking through the brush pile, looking through the foot of snow. Yep, yep. That kind of gave me... Uh, you know, an idea that, you know, uh, it wasn't all District 1 and you, you had a lot of time on the Sea Coast. That was a good learning time. You had a lot of fun. You had a lot of memories and it, it meant something to you. Yeah. Especially when I checked that lobster gauge out. So, because I thought I, uh, I thought I shot your dog. Yeah. Just a look on your face. And, yeah. That was a stupid. So, <laughs> and I paid for it. It was cold. And yeah. It was a long time to find that. Yeah. Thing, so, I thought I was going to have to go back with the metal detector. Sunk right to the bottom. Sunk yeah. right to the bottom. Yeah. So, thank God I found it, though, because you'd be forever, you know, thinking, yeah, you threw my lobster gauge out there. So. Yeah. Yeah, but so the sea coast, you like yeah. in there your first assignment. Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, assigned out of the uh, I'll say the Exeter Patrol. I uh, was working for Lieutenant Jeff Marston, and at the time I got assigned and uh, really was minimal coverage on the coast. Uh, we had 
only a lieutenant. And then um, when I first got assigned, uh, two, two other officers I worked with as uh, covering District 6. And then shortly thereafter, uh, it just became two of us covering District 6 with the lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which... You know, in, in hindsight, I mean, it, it gave me a ton of experience in a short amount of time, Wayne. You know, it was, uh, yeah, running and gunning like always, you know, like mm-hmm. I still am, but yep. just huge, huge number of calls, uh, always something going on in District 6. I mean, there's no there's no downtime for any warden anymore, but more so on 6. I mean, there's just always something right, going on. You have a commercial on. aspect yeah. there. Yeah, every day people are trying to make money off right. of the resource. Uh, and that's generally when we find problems, when people are making money off a resource. Uh, yeah. so there's a lot of cheating going on. There's a violate in to order that to action. get ahead. Yep. So, yep. I mean, what's one of your memorable cases? Of <sighs> well, stripers, you know, I would say it was probably memorable in, in two different ways. You know, memorable for that find and then probably the court end of things was pretty memorable as well um but yeah just the the most amount of uh short lobsters i've ever ever had seen uh in and i'll never forget this lobster boat pulling out of uh well it was uh seabrook uh, at the time so the um the pier and it's leaving and I, it was a rainy day Wayne, you know and i just see the face of the lobster man it was just you know, so I got the boat name, all that jazz, and in, in as he's motoring off, and uh, so I head into the co-op and and find find that hey, he landed all these bins of lobsters, you know, so mm-hmm. all these these totes are full of lobsters. So I just do my normal thing of you know interacting with the co-op and then checking over the lobsters and and immediately start getting into into shorts and uh yeah ron arsenal at the time was working down there and uh, came in and so he and i are just going right down through uh as as i had found you know had this violation and he and i went through we must have i forget the number wayne if it was it was in the 70s of short lobsters out wow. of this bin now give a background on that if you find one short lobster that's a rare thing you know i mean these these commercial uh, fishermen commercial lobstermen are they're held to that standard and, and they don't want that resource lost and and they don't want the the so violation or policing yeah it really is i mean it's it's in their best to short lobster there may not be lobsters down the road yeah exactly it's in their best interest to meet those those um requirements for managing and, and having their resource forever i guess you'd say mm-hmm. um in uh yeah so whenever we find 70 something of them i mean that was just something else yeah. um so you're letting one's rare 70 is unheard of yeah yep i mean you know and so so that was uh yeah that was probably you know one of the one of the more memorable but um but did not have a successful prosecution of that which was very unfortunate and mm-hmm. i guess i'll just kind of leave it at that but but some of my most memorable ones were um you know i'm just trying to think the the elver poaching way yeah. was something i, I got to go back to that lobster thing. yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i can't leave it eric but you know and and i don't think people understand the process too <sighs> of we catch them and then there's a process we got to go to a court and we got to prove our case and sometimes i've had judges say you proved your case but 
and then I lose the case because yeah. of whether he feels it's this way or that way or the judge doesn't, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't do our job by, you know, telling them and laying it out because it's kind of like doing a podcast. For people that don't listen, that they don't understand, I try to, when you say something that they may not know, like a, a smolt or something, I try to explain it, but then it's hard for me because I know what the terminology is. It's common yeah, to me, but yeah. it may not be common to the other listener. So when we process these cases, we've lost some good cases. Norm Lewis talked about a case. It's one of his best cases that he lost. But yeah. I think in reality, we don't lose the case. We we, we made a dent in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, know? no matter what, we brought the case forward, right. and it was an it was. We awesome. put it in a court of law, and yep. for some reason, somehow, it gets thrown out. Um, and and do you can you tell me you know why that one got thrown out, or is it? I mean, sometimes they feel bad for the the person. You know, sometimes yeah. uh, they they don't take your evidence in. Some, and you and know? it was a significant so so, and I guess maybe too to get the background of so. In the state of New Hampshire, conservation officers have to prosecute their own cases. Right. Um, you know, with the exception of something like a felony or, or what have you. Um, so, so in this case, you know, we are, you know, I'm a new officer at the time. Um, you know, we're bringing a case forward and prosecuting that case, which, mm-hmm. which, you know, bringing all my testimony in of what, what happened, Ron's testimony, you know, anything that we had, we brought in, uh, to include all the lobsters in, in measuring those lobsters and showing that and whether we failed to kind of, um, you know, we, we brought up the significance of how little, you know, a short's a short, it's either, mm-hmm. it's either legal or it's not. Um, albeit that, you know, some of these are only short by, you know, 30 seconds, you know, whatever the, the yeah, minimal the measurement. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so shorter it's not. Yep. Um, and now whether that depiction was, you know, minimized, I, I don't know. I don't know. In the end it was taken under advisement and then we, we ended up getting, uh, yeah, getting a, I'm trying to think if it was what the, but basically didn't get a guilty finding. So, yeah. um, uh, which, you know, and that was a case that had, uh, here's a commercial fisherman who's, who's making money off mm-hmm. of the resource. Who knows how many times, obviously caught him that one time, uh, who knows how many times he had been landing those types of numbers, right. making money in, in taking away from other and commercial fishermen. judges don't take, whether it's environmental or resource uh, violations, as serious as others. And, you know, sometimes I can understand that when you're dealing with murderers, assaults, and stuff like that. It's, but it's a resource that lasts for a long time. And if we don't, you know, treat it right, it's going to be gone. So, yeah. you know, and, and trying to relay that information that probably isn't relative to a case, but certainly is a relative to our future. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. It's, it's tricky. In, in, so I don't know that it was any necessary fault of that that case. It, it how the cards My opinion, played we out. Bring and, awesome cases. We put awesome yep. cases a lot of time into it. We try to dot every I and cross every T, and we try to. Yep. And sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah. no, I, I get it, and uh, I, I I can tell it's a little sore spot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of I want to delve into it because that that's part of being a warden, and yeah, it, 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 it hurts us when we don't win. You know, and it was it was hard. You know, I mean the the fishing community is a tight knit community down there for sure, and. Uh, you know, I just certainly don't didn't want it ever depicted that we 
we didn't we brought a case forward and and i think it was in the eyes of all the commercial fishermen at the time and um you know we didn't get that guilty finding but i i don't think it was ever held against us in that community i know they feel bad you let them down yeah yeah for sure Mm -hmm. I, i would say for sure on that you know the expectation when you catch somebody with all that is hey they're gonna Mm-hmm. they'll pay for what they've done you know right. and, and it uh, keeps it fair amongst all all the fishermen now it's kind of like so. you pull the trigger on a simulated uh deer you know the, the expectation is you're guilty right yeah yeah <laughs> during night yeah, so, yeah. But, and generally i've always found when people are caught red-handed that they're pretty good about it yep. so yep. but others especially when it's their livelihood yeah i mean know, take it to that that extra extra so, and to yeah. a degree, we can understand that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but we're, we're, I don't think we're asking a lot to, to maintain your livelihood for generations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In in that commercial endeavor with the playing with the natural resource, you know. Absolutely. Start talking about Elvers. Oh yeah. Can I? I know you're gonna laugh at this way, but I'm, I'm gonna have to go take a break. In the words of canine training, we, we can take a break. Okay. Right? Cash. Yeah. So we're, we're gonna talk about Elvers clerk. now. Yeah. Sounds yeah. sounds good. Why? Yeah, Elvers. Yeah. yeah, like I said, that you know, yeah, that that lobster case was you know just a big you know you don't run into those that often, but there were numerous cases on the coast of of just that stuff. You know, you're catching people, and uh, you're constantly watching. You're working that sea coast. You got your binoculars out. You're out in a boat, and you're in your binoculars. And that's why I yeah. love my name, Warden's Watch. And uh, you know, certainly we we had a little writing about Warden's Watch too. The department does so, but yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's what wardens do is we watch and then when we see the violation we act yeah so we do a lot a lot of watching so uh, constant on the bino standpoint it was kind of funny so i first get on the coast while i'm you know checking this spot checking that spot parking here walking out there and i'll never forget i'm walking back on the railroad tracks and uh lieutenant marston pulls up like oh what are you you know, what are you doing? I was checking out, making sure no one seen if anybody was fishing down there. And I'll never forget he hands me the bino and they are like twice Dang. the bino of what I what yeah. I had, right? And I'm like he's like, Yeah, they're yours, you know, you can have them. and I'm like, Oh man. So Because the coastal guys have bigger binoculars. Yeah, these got got a better, you know, certainly the zoom on it's way way better i mean i can see stuff clear as day that my other ones i could still see pretty well with mm-hmm. but these are just twice the minus so yeah. since then i've had those pretty close to me in my cruiser all the time wayne you know yeah. i think actually i remember you helping me out with those oh, we're gonna have to i don't go. know if we should can you cut this out I don't know. Let, if we let's should. tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Lieutenant Eastman will take yeah. the away from you. So. so we can tell this story because you got very close to those binoculars because something happened to your original ones. You sent them out. Yeah, yeah. So that's always an interesting. Uh, luckily, I'd gotten the clearance from headquarters to send these out right. to get repaired mm-hmm. uh, because it's really interesting when the new binos come back. The company, you know, company didn't repair them. They just sent a brand new, new set. set. And, and the and serial numbers don't match. Isn't, an upgraded. Oh yeah, yeah. These things, yeah. They're they're like the new equivalent of you know what ten years ago, right? Uh, those other ones were. So yeah, because they they probably saw an issue and said we're not fixing that, we're junking it, that, we're shipping him a new set. Yeah, you know, I'd keep I'd look through them, those old ones, and I'd just get like seasick. You know, I wasn't yeah. even standing on the ocean, you know. So it was just. Uh, but these binoculars yeah. you got were. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, brand awesome. new in the box, came to the house. Incredible and, uh, binoculars. Yeah, I remember calling Lieutenant Bryant being like, hey, you're never going to believe this, but they sent me a brand new set. And he's like, I don't, I, you know, now I got this serial number and the yeah. other one's gone. And, and you paid for shipping yourself because you wanted them back right away you didn't want yeah, the yep. department to ship them out so you paid for your own shipping there yep exactly you know i'm back, like hey but... got a problem i'm gonna fix it and i mm-hmm. uh, got the clearance to do it and it's, yeah sometimes it's easier to just roll the done. money at it and mm-hmm. get, you know and you got rewarded for it too hey yeah got a brand new set so awesome set of binoculars but... and then when you went from district six to district one you were supposed to leave them there because they were the seacoast binoculars yeah i mean i did leave a pair of binos you, there you did. <laughs> you did. um but I had to go up to the camp where he had some pretty good binoculars, not as good as yours, yeah. and trade those to the Seacoast because they wanted those those ten by fifties. Yeah, big ones. So, so we did. Yeah, so I made some uh, some trades there. I called Lieutenant Eastman and said Eric's kind of attached to his binoculars, so I didn't uh, tell him they were the latest, a lot of cases with those. Latest a lot of and cases. greatest, you know, yeah. that they were high tech, you know, night vision, you know, in the <laughs> swim in the water with them type you know, oh, binoculars because he would have wanted those back. But <laughs> I did tell him you were attached to binoculars, and I had a set at the camp that nobody had attachments to that were similar. Perfect, you know, and uh, so we sent those to the coast, and you got to keep yours, and we put a pair of smaller binoculars up at the camp so yeah. we could still watch fishermen on the lake up at the camp so uh but and that's a game warden camp on first list so, yeah yeah um but any, any, anyway so you had that, that yeah. attached to your binoculars and totally understand wardens get that mike moody the only thing he wanted when he retired was a binoculars oh, yeah, and yeah. if anybody uses binoculars in deet or rubber in deet deet you spray on that for the mosquitoes uh, it eats rubber to pieces and mike moody's was sh- using deet from watching fishermen putting uh, spug spray on them and then watching fishermen his they, they look like they'd been uh, just through the mill they were shredded just shredded and that's the only thing he wanted he wanted his binoculars so we actually bought his binoculars back from the state they surplused them and they tried to put a value on them and they were like looking at these things they're like you know what what are, what are they worth they're i don't even worth five dollars because they're destroyed <laughs> you know <laughs> so i think we paid 10 for them or something because it was uh they looked at them and they thought they're a they were you know probably 20 years old and they were deep ridden and they were uh, i don't even think we can sell these so uh, anyways, we gave those back to Mike at his retirement. You know, that meant a lot to him, too. So, you know, the name's Warden's Watch is, is for a reason, because our binoculars become our extra set of eyes attached to them, because yeah. we see a lot of violations. That kind of lends credence to my, my name, and the, the name that as it, as it was before, you know, Warden's Show. Uh, and for those out there, you know, we watch a lot of people. They may not get checked all the time, but we certainly check a lot of people with our binoculars without actually physically going up and checking. So, uh, mm-hmm. for the eyes in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing so, what people are doing when they don't think anybody's watching, you know? Yeah. So, but Elvers, first of all, I, I think Josiah went into this a little, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, because Josiah would have been there in the heyday with... You guys worked together. Yeah. He yeah. and I were down there. Now, did you actually come on together? Uh, no. So, Josiah would have been... He must be at least a year ahead of me. Is he? Yeah. So, okay. Yep. You're both assigned to the Seacoast. Yep. Yep. So, Josiah and I would have been working Elvers right in that heyday. I mean... um, we had significant activity at night, I guess maybe to give a little background on on what they are, but basically uh, Elver is juvenile American eel. So they're, they're now making their way. Also known as a glass eel, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll call them glass eels because they'll be uh, see-through in this, this time when people are trying to harvest them. So they look literally look like, like uh, little worms. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, clear you worms. Know, maybe two inch in length and uh, real thin. You know, almost like just looking at a small see through straw. You know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so they'll be migrating uh, under darkness from from those brackish waters. You know, the salt water into into our freshwater um, tributaries. So nice. So, and what makes these eels special, or did at that time? Yeah. So apparently, in again, how much of this? But basically, the the delicacy of of those glass eels and growing these eels uh, for the the overseas market was what caused this draw. So there are some states that, uh, geez, I think at the time there were only two states that had a commercial season on them, or mm-hmm. anyway very few states on that east coast that that had a commercial season uh in that just created that black market wayne so they wanted to poach anywhere that they were and they were and worth a lot of money weren't they yeah right? i think at this you know in its in its peak when i was there two thousand dollars a pound you know now now what the backyard poacher gets for them to the person who has the ability to sell them i don't know but if you're getting that two grand a pound Supply and it's demand. gonna be gonna be significant monies you know and how many pounds do you think uh, uh, an effective poacher could get in a night i mean when you're looking at these in in their peak run i mean it's something else Wayne. I, mean, I don't know whether you'd you know you'd get you could fill a five gallon bucket full i'm sure and what that equated to poundage well i mean significant poundage and money yeah um, I, probably 20 pounds i'd say you know at least you know and you're just sitting Maybe there more. and huh at midway usa we know the ar-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern american history known for its modularity and widespread use it's often considered essential to any gun collection the essential things you need to run an ar-15 are usually always in stock during shortages things like magazines and 5.56 ammo whether you're looking to buy a new ar-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle Log on, and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, it, it just looked, you know, obviously not every night was a good run, but when, right. it, when it was running, if you timed it right, I bet you could have a $10,000-plus night anyway. You know, wow. and these people must must have, I mean. Yeah, then you have 10 of those nights, and uh, you're doing pretty good for the year, huh? Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just incredible to think, even even just to think that. Yeah, so let's say at two grand a pound. So yeah, all I need to do is get five pounds, which at two inches and as small as they are, it's going to take a significant amount of. Them, I'm, but, I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah, just to think that you could have a couple thousand dollar night. Yeah, and yeah, and then that increased the poaching for sure. Yeah, that that rewards yeah that opportunity you mm-hmm. know to have that opportunity and be able to the greed of trying to get those funds and uh, definitely created that avenue for people to come to our state and poach them mm-hmm. so that was pretty active when you were down on the seacoast yeah yeah and i trying to remember how we even got into it but uh well i can tell you for sure so uh chris schottmeyer for sure was inspirational in getting us to be out there trying to uh, enforce enforce the rules associated with them so mm-hmm. um you know we didn't have we don't have a season for them so uh always closed yeah yeah so i i mean yeah he he was uh yeah noah noah um special agent and got josiah and i right into enforcing all the rules on it and uh you know with lieutenant marston backing us so nice nice so any operations stand out you know, I would say, yeah, one in particular from start to finish, uh, 
is is one that stands out for sure and uh, this would have been a case that that occurred on the uh, lamprey river in newmarket um one particular night uh i'm trying to think if i got yeah so i got i actually took a call from um or no this uh, they all blend here wayne yeah so this, no, I, I understand yeah as you get older they're gonna blend yeah. more that's <laughs> so, why we're getting this why we're you're young yeah Eric, you yeah know? so so this particular night, um, I was working alone, uh, my lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Eastman at the time, and I think, uh, yeah, CO Mark Hensel were together. They were canvassing some spots. Well, I, I happened to live in Newmarket at the time and uh, had the PD drop me off at a spot. So I'm, I'm you know, now this is just the, the, you know, the want of a game warden to be in the woods, you know, sitting on a spot and hopefully going to witness poaching. Now... How many times in our career, Wayne, do we do that? Nothing happens. Well, a lot. Well, this night it came together, and um, the lamprey was was running. I'd been kind of keeping an eye, and just decided, hey, I'm going to put time into the lamprey. It's convenient for me to access the PD. You know, great relationship with the PD. So, um, so they dropped me off on this opposing shore to the area where you would dip it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I set up. I snuck down in. Um, PD left and basically just kept my portable for communication if I needed it and mm-hmm. uh, had my cell phone, all that jazz. So this particular night, I just remember, you know, some sitting in some bushes, just looking over the river and uh, I'll never forget it. I start seeing a headlamp moving and I hadn't been there, hadn't been there long at all. I, it takes, you know, it took me a while to sneak into the spot, mm-hmm. hadn't been there long at all. And I see a headlamp working its way up up the to the good spot that i would want to dip if i was doing it and uh so sure enough i'm seeing a, a net going and i'm like oh this is coming together this is this is what it, you know what i was hoping for and uh so now at this point i'm just seeing that one headlamp in this is behind some mill buildings so there's you know it's it's hard to see everything but I'm watching this going on. So I'm, I'm without a doubt confident that somebody is dipping. So I'm starting to make some, some phone calls. And, uh, so I got flip phone at the time and I'm trying to, I can't remember if I was texting or calling, but I'm getting Lieutenant Eastman and, and, uh, Mark Hensel in the loop that, Hey, I got activity start heading this way. And, uh, while this is all going down, I all of a sudden hear a whistle ring out, Wayne. And, and it's just somebody, you know, those people that can just, throw their fingers in their mouth and make this incredible whistle well that yeah, rings me. out yeah me neither uh rings out in behind these mill buildings right and so i'm in so at this point all i've had is my cell phone out watching all this go down i hear this whistle and then just see that headlamp scatter right so that's the alarm oh, yeah is all that's in my mind so i'm like i'm screwed now you know mm-hmm. so so they know they know i'm there how I, I don't know but something something scared them something mm-hmm. spooked them so i immediately call the pd and i say hey i need you guys to head down and make contact while i'm trying to do this i'm running across which in this particular area was further than i, I you're not running across the river are you? no no okay. it was too deep for that i was gonna so say i'm, I, like, uh, I'm yeah. doing the the I circle that's what we have we want yeah. we want to do we want to get to the oh yeah side. i want to be there so yeah. i'm I'm running through the woods, making my way around uh, the the dam area where these people were, and uh, which is a significant area. So the PD I'm calling, they're right nearby. They start rushing down. So as I'm making my sprint around, I, I roll up on them. The PD's out, and there's, for crying out loud, Wayne, there's four people. 
that were there. They've got a vehicle. They've got a handgun on the roof of the vehicle. Ooh. They've they've pulled everybody out, and now comes uh, Co Fluet, who's got to determine which one which one of these guys was dipping right. Mm-hmm. And and I'll never forget. I went with my so I was looking through binos, you know, watching everything go on, and uh, I immediately got drawn to the guy that had this hoodie on because that that who was dipping the person that was dipping had a hooded hoodie. sweatshirt. So, uh, so I immediately run up to him. Now the PD's right there. So they're, everybody's secure and everything. And now the investigation end of it, it has to happen because we don't necessarily have somebody red handed now. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out who was the person dipping, who was the violator. Right. And, uh, even though, you know, damn well, they all were there to dip. Yeah. They're um, all, yeah. And, Inclusions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so anyway, I grabbed this guy, separate him from his friends, bring him to a spot. And I said, you know why I'm here? This is your one opportunity. You know, essentially a little bit of a bluff maybe, but, mm-hmm. you know, I need you to come clean 100% with, I know why you're here, but what are you doing and, and where are the Alvers? And I'll tell you, the defeated look I got in that immediate end of, yeah, you know, the head down. I mean, you know you got the person, mm-hmm. which I was ecstatic that I you know, had the right person out of those four. And, right. uh, I said, Hey, why don't you bring me to the, to the Alvers? And, uh, so he walks me back Wayne to a, a dip net on the shoreline and, uh, it still had Alvers in it. So it, it, it had a handful of them in it mm-hmm. and I was like, well, this is all I need. And, uh, arrested him and brought him up to the PD, uh, secured all my evidence. Uh, in the end, what we figure, um, one of the guys had one of those old recording cameras, you know, like uh, just a handheld video camera. Mm-hmm. And we think, uh, so he had the night vision mode of that. Yep. And whether my, I don't know if my cell phone light would have been that bad facing me. You know, I mean, I right. was certainly being tactical with it. Mm-hmm. But if that's what, you know, saw him to see me or saw somehow saw me in those bushes right uh, but we think that guy was basically being counter surveillance of mm-hmm. making sure no one was in the bushes and uh, did you find out which one of them whistled uh so not not really no no, no there was there was so much going on for me mm-hmm. at that standpoint and then uh lieutenant eastman and in co mark hensel got there so we went right through the vehicle tons of dip nets basically seized everything and ultimately got the one arrest and he was basically the the only one that was dipping and, and that was who i chose to uh prosecute uh with with these violations so um yeah, fast forwarding ahead. I mean, that was that was just hey, game warden work at its finest. You know, yeah. being in the woods, being right there, quick apprehension and in nice. poaching poaching those high value uh, elvers. So, um, yeah. In in on that note, when court time came, um, so this would have would have been to the Exeter District Court, and uh, so it was, let's just say it was one of my first times. You know being there or what have you uh being before the judge and i'll never forget you know it ended up being a plea so guy's gonna gonna plea to this and and i didn't have much you know because of this being a commercial people making money and significant monies i mean we were we had a set number of of what we wanted per each violation and that was it so you either pled to that or we went went to trial on the case and uh 
so I'll never forget, you know, we're standing outside. He's like, yeah, I, I ultimately, I think one of them, I might've, I might've dropped one of my charges, but it, it was to the extent of, of $6,800. And I remember, remember it to the date, the, the receipt I still have in my office way. And, uh, so he's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll plead to that. So I'm like, okay. And I remember being in the lobby and I'm like, you said, um, you got, you got cash on you? You know, I was trying to figure out because right. he's ready to ready to pay, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yeah, I got all, I got the cash on me." And uh, so I'm like, "Well, sixty eight hundred dollars, a lot of cash, huh?" Oh, oh yeah. So I said, "Well, I'll walk you down to the clerk after we we leave the courtroom." So I went before the judge. Uh, you know, just kind of hit home with the judge on in in my end of the plea with you know this is a high value item. This is why the fines are high. Uh, and so in the end it was agreed to. Um, so he had to pay before he left $6,800. We went downstairs. I'd never seen the clerk's, uh, eyes so big when he starts piling up hundred dollar bills and, you know, cash currency for, to pay his $6,800. And you know, the thing that goes through my mind is drug dealer because a drug dealer is <laughs> dealing cash a lot. So Elvers... You know, you know, um, and, and you never know what to believe. I mean, obviously, this person minimized it certainly to me that hey, I you know was in this crowd. Nobody's, oh, this my nobody's helping me. And, yeah, nobody's yeah. helping me pay this. But I have sixty eight hundred dollars in cash available. <sighs> you know, so <laughs> uh, in any case, I hope I deterred it with that group and and whether he did or not, and maybe know, he went somewhere else. So, who who knows? Know, but definitely. Uh, you know, when you have that high value item, you know, reward, like you said, you know, you know, risk yeah. versus reward. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, certainly worth the deterrent there, but man, when you're getting that kind of money for a resource, yeah, know, there's a lot of people out there willing to take the risk. Yeah. So no, I'll, I'll never forget that though. I, I had to ask her, I'm like, Hey, can I have a receipt for that? Cause I just, yeah. I've never seen that much cash paid into a fine, you know, no, neither have I, you know, uh, I have never seen yeah, I guess that would be my biggest, yeah, biggest income on a violation was that nice. was that case. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that, that's pretty impressive. So, any other seacoast? Uh, I mean, it it was just a bunch of a bunch of awesome work down there. Yeah. So tuna, you know, I remember. Uh, you know, a, a tuna that they're not supposed to be cut up or anything. Well, I, I go down and check, a, check into this boat lane and, you know, one guy with them, I think he had a, just one of those hats with the hair sticking out of it, you know, just an interesting <laughs> crew, you know, yeah. talk, start Something talking you gravitated to somebody to right away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, uh, start talking to them and, you know, you know, one thing led to another, there's blood all around, you know, you can see blood and stuff on the boat and, uh, checking fish and open a cooler and and there's chunked up tuna which which they're supposed to come in whole or Mm -hmm. or specific method of of gutting them uh and we have links associated with that Uh, so you know if it's a legal tuna yep exactly so in, in this case this thing came in all chunked out um and you have no idea how big it was. Yeah, it was so a legal I can't, limit. Exactly. I can't tell if if this was legal or or if this was a short tuna that they were, you know, poaching and, and hiding to, to get home. Um and uh yeah, so ultimately that was that was a, a good good catch uh, for just being in the right place at the right time when that boat came in Wayne, you know yeah um ended up having uh yeah the special agent come down with with one of their uh uniformed officers and uh yeah shop meyer and, and the uniform officer went right through and, and they actually had the ability to uh 
yeah, give a hand hand summons on that uh, as well. So it worked out great. Good. Did you charge them on the and, state side as well, or you, you know, just I, let the, the federal take care? I of think it? that one. So um, I believe all of that was federal, associated with the the highly migratory species right. of, of tuna. So that. And what I, a lot of people don't understand, we can charge the state side, and then the feds can charge their side as well. So they can actually get violations whacked twice. You know, state and federal laws because they're different so yeah um and i learned that with the forest service so i've written a couple tickets with them and you know i write up my ticket for the state and they write their ticket for the government so it's um you know so there is two sides to that coin so if there's a federal violation involved on federal property or with the federal animal or yeah, federal yeah. waters in this case, yeah in maybe. this case so yeah. and sometimes we, we let the the feds take it all you know we you know we find it and we hand it over I always like to take the state side too. So, uh, and sometimes I didn't call them on stuff too. So, and, and, and you know, so, but, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's the way that it, it works, the way our legal system's set up. So, yeah. and I certainly wanted to bring that out to folks. So, and we work a lot with the federal government. I've talked about our JEA, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, details before, yeah. and uh, they basically pay for us to be out there to, to do their end outside of three miles. So, um, because they can't do it all. Well, that's you know that's the thing you you put two you know two sets of eyes whoever's however many officers were covering New Hampshire at the time federally it and then now at least you have extra eyes out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I always get heartburn thinking about my patrol area and then let alone an ocean and having uh, only one set of eyes. You know, so yeah. Um, yeah in this case, it it benefited uh the feds by having us out there um as an extra set and of it benefits the resource to to yeah. have us out there too so yeah. you know I, that, we just don't make these laws up because we like to make laws up and we don't make them up right we just enforce <laughs> them everybody likes to think it's our laws but we, we have really a little to do with uh, how, how it is you know yeah. we just enforce them so whether we agree with them or not it's that that's our job to enforce you know resource regulations and federal they we they pay us to do the federal stuff because they can't do it all and it, it helps the resource and you know i think long term even the commercial fishermen and under would understand that because they've seeing stocks come up the cod hopefully is going to be a success story as we've depleted the cod and now we have some serious restrictions on cod and i'm hoping we're going to have a success story similar to the striped bass so and we're going to see that come back that that's you know and i think that's everybody's goal really you know whether you're a commercial fisherman yeah you hate to say you're going out of business because there's no fish but you know i'd rather say it's because we're setting up rules and regulations that puts me out of business but we're doing that not to put you out of business but to, to save a resource for the future yeah yeah that's the biologist side that's the the rulemaking side and we're the enforcement so yeah. we always have to be the bad guys in right. some cases so yeah sometimes that conservation you know the methods of conservation isn't just isn't just the law enforcement you know mm. it's the yeah the biology end of it and keeping sustaining those fisheries in this case right and at this point, Eric, I think we're going to wrap this up as your your first episode. It'll be one of my many episodes, but I think we're going to close this one out and we're going to start another one because we got <laughs> we got still got a lot to talk about. And uh, I'm not going to let you go because uh, we're going to we're going to do another segment. We, you know, an hour and fifteen minutes into this one, so I think that's a good listen for our listeners. You know, I think we can do another one probably just as long. And you know, I I think it'll be awesome because uh, <laughs> we haven't talked about you know our moose hunting excursions, our hunting. You know, the first episode of Northwoods Law we were on together. 
together. Yeah. Moxie, our airboat experiences. So we, yeah. we got a lot more to talk about. So I, I, I think uh, we will take a break here and we're going to have two episodes with Eric Fluet. So uh, <laughs> New Hampshire game warden. Well, sounds good, Wayne. Well, I'm yeah. glad, glad to be here. So. Just finishing up episode 10 with Eric Fluet. Taking a little break. We're going to come back. A little break. That's two weeks for you. Hang on. Uh, the next one coming up is going to be uh, part two. That'll be episode 11 with Eric Fluet, continuation. Like I said, coming into the softball game, Eric Fluet and Chris McCabe were highlighted in the social media blitz for the softball game that's going to raise money for IWC, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, as well as Operation Game Thief, both New Hampshire and Maine, and Make-A-Wish Foundations. You can participate. I hope you come and see those guys. If not, we're working on live streaming. We'll see how that works out. Hopefully, you'll be able to do that. Hang on for two more weeks, and you'll hear the conclusion. It's basically another podcast with Eric Fluet. I hope you enjoyed this one. There's much more to come. Tune back in. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.